photographs and memories. A travel market life series sponsored by Atomize. My memory maker today is Mona Marmarie. Mona was born in Lebanon, but at an early age moved to Saudi Arabia, where she spent her formative years. She attended university in Paris and graduated with a master's degree. Mona started her career in market planning and pricing at Disneyland Resort Paris, followed by a stint at Thomas Cook. For the past eight years, she has been leading pricing, forecasting, and revenue transformation for hotel groups such as Radisson and NH. Photographs and Memories. Mona Marmari, welcome to Photographs and Memories. Thank you, Michael. I'm very happy to be here with you. You've shared three photographs of places and people with us, memories that are particularly important to you, whether that is personally or professionally. During the course of our conversation, we'll come to each photograph uh, where we'll take a little, you'll take us on a little journey through time, reflecting on the significance of that moment. You will, you've also brought in a souvenir with you, which has a special place in your heart. But before we explore the stories behind the photos and the souvenirs, please can you tell us how you came to work in the hotel industry? Um, I was born in Lebanon, and that was during the Civil War. So my family moved to Saudi Arabia, and I grew up in Saudi Arabia in a very multicultural environment. Then I came to France to finish my studies. And when I got my business degree, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. But I knew one thing is I wanted a, a job that had open door to the world. And so hospitality came naturally. I discovered the hospitality industry. I loved it. And that's how I came in. <laughs> so you mentioned growing up in Lebanon. Uh, were you quite young when you left Lebanon? And do you still have memories of, of that time? I was three. So I grew up in Saudi Arabia, actually. Those are my childhood memories, not uh, so much Lebanon. And do you get to go back to any of these places, Saudi or, or Lebanon indeed, where your, your family presumably still, still live? Exactly. I, uh, I go back every year to Lebanon. Uh, Saudi Arabia, unfortunately, I haven't been since I left uh, the country 20 years ago. Fantastic. Well, let's take a look at your first photograph. It's of some a, a group of children standing under a football goal on, goal on, a, on a dusty field. Uh, please explain the signif significance of this photograph. Uh, so in 2020, uh, we decided to take a big challenge with the family and go on a world tour uh, to uh, show our kids uh, the different continents and at the same time work in small NGOs to help a little bit and meet people. And the first uh, one, uh, first country we discovered was Zambia. And we helped in a school of very poor people. Uh, they, had, they didn't even have pencils in school, so they were really had nothing. And, but they came to school every day with a big smile, full of energy. It was fantastic. And so the picture I, I selected here is the picture of Fridays. Every Friday was the best day of the whole week because it's, uh, it was the football day. So uh, we all went to the football field. They were all singing until they got there. And we spent the whole day uh, playing in the field. And it was amazing. And during this time in, in Zambia, uh, did, were you able to explore the country beyond just helping out at, at the school? Yeah, we did. Uh, Zambia, we were in Livingstone, where you have uh, the Victoria Falls. So we went to uh, Z Zimbabwe and, and visited the Victoria Falls that were close by. We also did little safaris because you have very nice wild animals there. 
So it was very nice. But at the end, the picture is about people uh, because today when I think of Zambia, I just remember the people I met and how they were just always happy, uh, simply happy because they had really not much. For example, one day we spent an afternoon with two um, two sisters. One was 10, the other five. Uh, they were sharing flip-flops. Each of them had one flip-flop and one barefoot. They were so poor, they had nothing, but they were just angels and naturally friendly. And really, we met amazing people. So at the end, what I remember from that trip is the people. The, and the I think hosp the... hospitality is about people. The, the people and their big smiles. It's amazing. You don't yeah. need much to be happy. Uh, taking that decision to give up work for a year um, with two school-going age children yes. is monumental. What, what made you do it? Um, it was the right timing if we wanted to do it uh, um, in our careers. And at the level of our kids in school, it was the only timing for us. And it was a dream we had. So you only and have one you, life. Huh? <laughs> you only have one life indeed. Were you apprehensive? Was it, was it logistically difficult to organize? Or did you just sort of jump in the deep end and, and go? Uh, it took a lot of time, but it wasn't complicated. Because today with technology, you just reach uh, anybody uh, just on the internet. So even finding small NGOs uh, on the internet, it was it was quite it was quite easy. It took some time, a lot of efforts, but um, not compl not uh, not complicated. And during your time, did you work at a variety of NGOs? Was that sort of part of the plan to work as you as you travelled? Yes, because our plan was not to hop and look see things, but more to spend time to really feel. Uh, the places and meet people. And in some countries, we could not find um, NGOs. For example, China was very difficult. So we ended up only doing tourism in China. Um, but the best times we've had was really when we stayed with people. That's where you got the feeling of how they really live, what's important for them, what they eat, uh, uh, everything. So Amazing. Your next photograph is of a lady wearing some very vibrant clothing and a yes. big, broad grin on her face. Why have you chosen this photograph? I chose that photograph for two reasons. One, um, because that was in Vietnam. Uh, we, we worked in an NGO in the center of Vietnam, but then decided to, for a few days to go and visit the north. And we were really amazed because in the north of Vietnam, you really see what is, I think, rare, more and more rare today is real people living their traditions and wearing clothes, traditional clothes, working, um, old types of jobs, difficult jobs, and living in, in traditional houses. And we were really impressed and we, we loved it. But we when we realized that that we were lucky to see it today because in 10 or 20 years, that's not going to exist anymore because these people had tough lives and that wasn't the easy life. So they were still struggling to keep their traditions. And you could see that the women were holding those traditions. The men were already wearing the clothes of uh, everybody that you can buy everywhere. And we felt really lucky at that moment to live that. And we thought in 20 years we come back, it's completely different. So I do hope that in the hospitality industry, we continue to, to cherish that and protect those uh, Part specificities and 
particularities of each places in the world, uh, despite the global, despite the globalization, um, because that's really magical. I mean, it's a huge challenge to do that. It's it's sort of a, a double-edged sword. Yes, these communities need the, the money that tourism brings, but at the same time, it destroys their culture. So yeah. how do you think we balance that? How do we achieve the right balance of ensuring people do receive the incomes from travel, but at the same time, preserve their cultures? Yeah, that's a real challenge. And so the second reason I chose that uh, picture is because uh, this woman, uh, was, I think, um, and the most amazing woman I've ever met. Uh, she was our tour guide in the north of Vietnam, of Vietnam. And actually, she was she spoke English very well, but she never went to school. She was uh, around 45. She was full of energy. She had five kids. Her husband was, was sick, so he was not working. She had rice fields that she had to, uh, to work on, so she had enough food for her, for her family. And at the same time, she was working as a tour guide to get more money. Uh, she learned English on the spot by work, by just working with tourists without going to school. She didn't know how to read and write. And she was so smart and so courageous. I was just impressed by and smiling all the time. I thought this is the most impressive and amazing woman I've ever met. That's why I chose this picture. <laughs> Fantastic. So if you weren't working in hospitality, you, you described, you know, that it, it was a people industry and it you didn't necessarily know exactly what you were going to do, but it's, mm -hmm. it felt right given where you were at the time and, and uh, what, what interested you. But if you weren't in hospitality, what would you be doing? Um, I think I could be doing anything, but I wouldn't be having as much fun. And for sure, I would be working with people. <laughs> would you encourage people to join the hospitality industry now? I mean, COVID has been a really tough, tough time and, and a lot of people have left. Do you, do you think um, it's, well, it's clearly going to be a challenge getting people to join, but would you encourage people that are people, people, people to, to come into this industry and enjoy what we, you and I have experienced? Oh, yes, definitely. I think it's a great place to be. Uh, if you like to have fun, uh, meet uh, people from everywhere around the world. I've had that chance in all my jobs. Really, I've met amazing people. And I don't think that short term it's going to be difficult, uh, the long term, because people now that we're going to go out of COVID, people are going to really be reconnecting and looking for real experiences. And so that industry is really important for the well-being of people even more now. So I'm not pessimistic about that. Fantastic. I certainly hope so. And, I, and yes, I think it, it this industry re relates really well to certain types of people. And um, you certainly don't go into necessarily for the money, but it's the, the experience of actually meeting people from all over the world and being part of a global community. Which brings me on to your third photograph, which is of a sandy beach uh, with a number of surfers walking into the break. Uh, please tell us about this one. Uh, that picture is uh, from an Australian beach. So um, in during our world tour, the third continent we were discovering was uh, Oceania and so Australia. Uh, and we were supposed to go to Latin America after that, but we were locked down by COVID. And I thought at this moment that we were the luckiest people on earth 
because everybody was under lockdown and we were in the most amazing and beautiful place in the world. I can say that of many places I've been on, but Australia is an amazing, beautiful place full of fascinating nature. And I thought we were really lucky. Um, they had been devastated by the bushfires in September, um, but nature had grown back again. And um, I thought that travel industry must really cherish also not just the people, but the places and the nature. So really the, 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 the fight for respecting our world and the, the, the earth and the environment, it's critical for our industry as well because those places are just amazing and we need to preserve them. So that's why I chose this picture. And what was it like being locked down in Australia? You know, yes, you've got this beautiful back backyard and probably beats any place in the world to be locked down in. But did you also feel claustrophob claustrophobic at the same time and restricted and unable oh. to really experience what you were in Australia to do? No, no, no. It was fantastic because... Um, uh, at this time, Australia was not suffering of COVID, so the restrictions was, were not very strong, and we could move around. So it was we were really lucky. We we, could, we stayed five months in Australia at the end uh, because of the, the blocking of traveling, but we enjoyed every piece of it, and uh, we discovered an amazing country. And how did your children relate to this experience? It's it's a, a massive opportunity, literally a once in a lifetime opportunity to be taken around the world at that age. What are, what are their reflections of that experience? Um, I think they're too young to have reflections. Um, the only thing I I can say about uh, the, the kids is that they were amazingly flexible and open to everything. Kids are just, uh, really, they're the, the, the future because we should be like kids. They were friendly with everybody, scared of nothing. They they adjusted to when we worked in a Japanese restaurant that was a social restaurant. Um, uh, they were cleaning the, the, the restaurant. They were serving. They adapted to everything, all the food in every single place. So it was more um, for us, a learning for adults, seeing how the kids were so agile and open to everything it was a big discovery for them they were just living life enjoying and just you know, being happy and meeting new people but you deliberately wanted to get them involved it wasn't just a holiday and they they didn't see it as a holiday they understood that there was a greater purpose to this trip or did they just live in the moment and sort of took every each day as it came they lived in the moment and took every day yes exactly they lived in the moment. Amazing, amazing. So you've traveled around the world. You didn't get to South America. Is there any mm -hmm. place that you want to go back to or, or rather that you haven't been to, but you want to want to go and see? Oh, too many. I cannot answer this question. After what I've seen, I would like to go back everywhere I went and I would like to go to many other places. So I'll put it another way. Out of all the places you have visited, is there one place you'd like to go back to? Um, I'd like to go back and see people. And if I can get them here, just see the people, not so much the places. I would like to see the people again. Um, 
Now, see, I could select one place, uh, South Africa, because I talked about how Australia is beautiful. Uh, South Africa uh, has breathtaking uh, nature and pl places really that you just there and you say, it's fine. I saw that now. I can I can go back home. So probably maybe South Africa. And you're not just saying that because I'm from there. No, I already told you. I sent you messages. I am in your country and it's amazing, Michael. Yes. It's wonderful. It, it definitely is. And, and it faces the same challenges like all countries trying to balance, you know, moving forward and preserving the natural heritage and the cultural heritage. So it's definitely challenged yes. in that respect. One one last question before we we look at your 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 souvenir. Um, I wanted to. I know that you're very strong at promoting uh, women's rights and 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 women's place in the work in the workplace. In all of your travels, what what impression did you get of um, how women are improving their lives around the world? Is is there much variation between different countries and? Did you learn anything from those experiences? What I saw is what I had read and seen is all of the countries that are not as developed as we are, it's really the women that are the strongest. When we were in Zambia, uh, we went to a small market where you could buy stuff for one euro for a whole dinner every day. And you saw that all of the shops, which was just a table, uh, were held by women. And most of these women were um, feeding their whole family and the ones really working. And it was the same with um, the Vietnamese uh, tour guide. You could see that too. Um, so I really realized how women are really strong and pillars of the whole society. So actually it, it um, made me even more conscious of the right to continue fighting uh, to really get there because they, they deserve it. Yeah, it's amazing that as a Western culture, we think that we're actually at the pinnacle of human evolution and stuff like that. But from what you're describing, the many lessons that we can learn from countries that are less developed and actually um, are preserving some of their, their heritage more than, than we are necessarily. Mm. Is, is, that, is that a fair statement? Yes, that's true. Yes. Fantastic. Well, Mona, thank you very much for being our memory maker today. Um, but before we wrap up, I know that you've brought a souvenir with you. So please tell us all about it. Yes. So I brought a boomerang. Uh, so again, uh, Australia. Um, and why a boomerang? Um, because I was fascinated by the Australian uh, aborig Aboriginal culture. It made me realize how um, open-minded we need to be. Where we read a lot about um, how the newcomers perceived the Aboriginal Australians when they came in. And we read a lot about uh, how the Aboriginals used to live, um, have their territories, um, find food, etc. And um, it made me realize how we look at things only based on what we know and we've seen. Uh, 
you know, and we always look at it with these glasses, but you realize that you need to make an effort to always challenge yourself because there's another way and people can have also another right way. You're all, not always looking at the things the same way as others. Um, well, so that's why I chose that because I think that opened a little bit my, my brains uh, about uh, things. Amazing. Well, Mona, it's been an absolute delight having you on the show. Thank you once again for sharing your photographs and memories. Well, thank you very much, Michael. My pleasure. Thank you. Photographs and Memories, sponsored by Atomize, produced by Haynes Marcoms as a travel market life series. For more, visit travelmarket.life.